Hi, this podcast is all about discussions and interviews with Sierra Leoneans talking about culture, history, education, entertainment, sport, art, current events, music and their personal experiences. We aim to talk about everything and anything. Hi everyone, welcome to Conversations with Sierra Leoneans and today we have our regular host Nigel and we have a special guest Nadia. Hi Nadia, hi Nigel. Hi, hello, hi. Hi Mr Reggie. (laughs) Right, we have to first start with um, how we all met. So I think if I could start then um, then whoever else can uh, want to carry it on, they can carry it on. Right, so my brother sent me an email from yourself, Nadia, about some research work that Nigel did. And oh. uh, yeah, so that's, yeah. that was a long time ago. I don't know how long ago it was. And mm-hmm. then I looked at the research paper and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I've never seen anything like this. So I tried to reach out through Ni- to Nigel via this research website and it just didn't get anywhere. And then um, I registered with Ancestry and obviously uh, came up with a lot of hits of you know um, various cousins and relatives and stuff like that. And then Nigel actually um, uh, messaged me and uh, wanted some information about the Lees and the family tree and stuff like that. And initially, and that's how we first met. Oh. Yeah. So Nigel, so Nadia, how did you meet Nigel? <laughs> huh, well, <clears throat> I was walking down the road with, um, sorry, I hope you can't hear the dog barking. Uh, oh, I was walking down the w- road with a friend. She was going back to Liverpool. And we were just walking down the road and um, Nigel, we walked past Nigel and uh, Nigel turned around. And at this point, this point, at this point in my life, I had done Ancestry DNA and found out that I always knew that we had German, German, you know, DNA, German blood, whatever you want to call it. But I, in, the, in the Ancestry DNA, it said that it was Jewish. So that was a real surprise for me. And I was telling people because, you know, it just adds another layer to the complexity. And so then when my friend had come down, I had added another layer. We had talked about this all weekend. So I'm taking her back to Liverpool, uh, back to Euston. We're walking down the road. Nigel walks past us. We walk past Nigel. And then he turned around and then he said, Is, are you Nadia Maddie?" And I was like, yeah. And I was thinking, how does somebody see me, recognize me? I figured, is this the book? What is this? You know, then he said, are you something, something? I can't remember. And then he said, but he said, I know your family. And then he, I can't remember what else he said, but he said that he was doing this research. He'd done this paper. And that's why he knew who I was. And I was like, paper? You know, he's doing this journal research. I was thinking, researching my family? You know, everything. Like and I was just like, it was just crazy because I had just done the, the DNA, Antosy DNA. Now somebody, I'm meeting some random guy in the street who's saying, well, I've just researched your whole family history and I know all about that during the Jewish side. <laughs> and even my friend was in absolute shock. And that's how I met Nigel. Wow. So Nigel, what, how did you, you know, sort of like think to approach and how, yeah, how did you know of her? How did you sort of like guess and, and see her in the street? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, literally, you know, it's one of these strangest things actually how it happened. And I, I, I gotta be honest, Nadia was uh, quite generous because uh, uh, at the time, yeah, I, I was literally 
most most interesting coincidence walking down the street to do my dry cleaning of all things on a Saturday after obviously work. <laughs> I was not going to go down that route that morning um, or afternoon. I just happened and I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, I'd obviously been doing this whole Jewish ancestry thing on uh, Sierra Leone for a while. And so I kind of seen, okay, I think it had some connection or something on ancestry, the trees. And I see Nadia and I thought, okay, who's Nadia? And I saw Nadia Maddie, an author, you know, quite well known. And then I just thought on myself, Oh my gosh, is that, is that not the lady I've seen like on these uh, <laughs> on doing all this author or, like all this book and writing stuff? And so it was it was a random thing because obviously I don't usually go down that route to do my dry cleaning. So like literally, if I'd gone a different route, I wouldn't have met that. But you know, it's coincidence, you know, whatever you want to call it, strange occurrence. But uh, I think meeting Mister Reggie is probably more normal than <laughs> sort of meeting. <laughs> 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 Oh god! I tell you what, yeah, we need to go back about I don't know what thirty years because Nadia, I met you at a ceremonial party, and Uncle Dennis said, "I've got someone to meet," and he introduced me and my brother Michel to you. Do you remember that? Oh wow! Yeah, of course I remember that. It's Jewish Day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god! And ever since then, we've been uh, yeah we've been friends yeah um, yeah 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 so, was, yeah. yeah so yeah we've been around the block and we've um yeah we've we've had some good good times parties and meeting ups and stuff like that you've been to the chalet so uh yeah our friendship has really blossomed over the years it's, it certainly has yeah I was I was I was 16 years old when I met um, Reggie and his brother, I was, I was sweet 16. And my first job, I was really proud of my first job, you know, while I was doing my A-levels or my G, yeah, it was my A-levels. And um, yeah, I remember I was doing this hairdressing job. I was so proud because I was earning 30 pounds a week. And they said to me, how much are you earning from this hairdressing job? I said, 30 pounds a week. And I remember Reggie went, bloody hell, I thought slave labor was over. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, is that is that not a you know decent salary? I remember that. Yeah. God, you remember that? I don't remember saying that. It's not something that I would say. It probably was actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay, nice. No, good. It's good to let everyone know how we all met. We're all free Leoneans and and in fact, um, um, our parents. My mum knew of your dad. Back in Sierra Leone, so um, oh okay. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So um, yeah, there's a there's a family connection back then as well. So okay, cool. So um, Nadia, just give us your background. Um, you know, I know you were coming. Were you born over here or born in Sierra Leone? If you can give us, I was born, I was born yeah. in England. Yeah, I was born in yeah. England. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was born in England, and I went to live in Sierra Leone when I was uh between I was I was 10 years old and I lived in Sierra Leone until I was 15 and then I came back to live in England mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and and I mean I've, I've heard you speak Creole and your Creole is well it's pretty much better than me <laughs> your Creole is very very good but then spending four or five years in uh, in free time would do that wouldn't it definitely definitely you know and I lived right we live right in the center of town by PZ so you know, you're going to learn it real quick, you know, right by the market, <laughs> right by the, the, the docks. You, you learn it real quick, you know? Yeah. In fact, what was that like, actually, sort of like being an English um, girl, you know, coming with your English accent, going into Sierra Leone at that time? 
Um, well, um, <clears throat> what they did is they put me in a school called International School. And that was kind of to ease me into, you know, the differences. Just, you know, let's, let's ease her in a bit. So they put me in international school. And it literally was an international school because it was, everybody was there. Uh, black, white, Chinese, Indian, everyone was in this school. Um, so, so it kind of, it was like a easing me in. Um, I think uh, the, my, my cultural shock was with the um, corporal punishment situation that was going on. That kind of shocked me a bit, you know. Um, uh-huh. And then when I went to secondary school, obviously, then, then I, I went to St. Joseph's and um, then I was like really in a proper Sierra Leonean school. Um, and there were lots of things that I found quite bizarre. I have to say, I never really, I never really settled, to be honest with you. Um, there were a lot of things that went on politically that um, as a child, I noticed and um, there were a lot of things going on that were inappropriate as a child that I noticed. And I came from, I was from London and I was from Camden and, you know, Camden town, that whole borough is about anarchy. It's Mm. about, you know, uh, you know, sex pistols, all Mm. of these kind of groups. That's what I was coming from punks. Mm. So watching people conform and not question and you know say well it's god's it's what's god's will god god wills was very strange to me you know coming from pro people protesting all the time in england and then i come to a country where everyone just complains and says oh well it's god's will so i was quite frustrated with a lot of things and also i didn't understand the relationship between children and adults i I don't think i really gelled with it that much um because you were seen and not heard and it's not that I needed to be heard, but I seeing what if, if you're automatically unseen until you turn 18, it causes a lot of problems. And I could see all the problems. And so I didn't settle in well, but I can tell you that I really did enjoy myself. And I was in Sulean at a good time where when you're in the schools, they would take you out to, you know, uh, when I was in primary school, they took us out to hotels to the hotels to meet management to talk to management see how the kitchen works how housekeeping works um we went to the Mamioka hotel and that was all arranged we went to um the dam I think with the dam is in Bow. I can't remember you know went to the dam to see the, the you know how is the water and the electricity but we went to all on all of these excursions and that that I don't I think that stopped maybe like maybe five years later nobody even knows half of these you know we, we went to the museum um so there was a lot of things going on at that point in education uh that was really good and also going to school at that time they had apartheid and they had um we had a lot of south africans people from um uh namibia and places like that in living in syria and their kids were going to school there of course we had nigerians so there was it was a really good time to go to school in syria it really was Nigel, is there anything you want to um, ask on, or any anything to add to that? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, obviously, you kind of talked about this kind of cosmopolitan mix that you kind of had, obviously, growing up in in London, and I guess coming to Freetown. I mean, what was well, okay? What was the contrast in terms of you know, in terms of obviously there's some similarities you kind of mentioned the cosmopolitan angle, but were there any sharp differences that you kind of made you miss England, or were you kind of comfortable with how Freetown was? Um. 
the sharp differences, I think, were, I mean, uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the quality of living side, the quality of living, obviously, in Syria was, was 10 times better. So there was that, there was that. And, and in Syria, there was a lot more order, you know, Saturdays was for marketing and market and cooking and all of this stuff. And then Sundays would be really quiet outside, you know, hardly anybody trading everybody was either in church or and then after that going to other people's houses or then you have your Sunday meal so there's a real order and then Monday you know it all starts again um so there was that obviously in London in England it is what it is um contrast in terms of a, a child was very much the relationship between adults and children um because in 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 if an adult came to the house and paid you any attention how because the, the main thing that there was is how's you house school and then after that they don't give a toss whether you live or die they just move on with their with their um conversation so and i noticed that whereas in england you know people would pay attention to you they would ask you questions they actually you know they're actually actually interested ask you other questions so are you being a good boy how is school and then that's it it was like obligatory stuff so as a child you were you were just there and you're either there to make your parents money or you're there to just follow orders. Um, so, and then in school, I think the, um, I think in Sweden there was a lot more freedom as in, you know, after school, you can walk slowly home. Nobody's going to molest you, you, you know, having all these, when I was a kid in, in England, there was a lot of children disappearing to the point where police were coming to school and putting on videos, horrendous videos for us to watch. Don't speak to anybody outside the school gates. If anybody tries to talk to you, these are the things you need to know. We were bombarded with that as children in England. But in, in Sierra Leone, uh, probably it wasn't, uh, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, that wasn't there. There was freedom. There was, uh, uh, I liked the, the sports. We had school sports in Sierra Leone where all the schools would come together uh, and and you know do track and field, and that was amazing to have all schools come to the stadium, and schools would compete against each other, and so you'd have the famous track and field people, and and that was really amazing. So I like sport now because of that. I understand it a lot more because there would be trials and there'd be all these kind of things going on, and uh, that obviously did not happen in England at all. Um, uh yeah as i said i think my only issue was was i really was not impressed with adults and adult behavior in sierra leone and i wasn't impressed with the very laid-back attitude if something was going wrong which is oh well it's god's will you know god's will uh, that I, I couldn't get yeah okay so, so so you came back to england after what five years did you remember much about england you know, when you returned? Yes, I did, because I, it, it wasn't my choice to go to Sierra Leone. And when I was there, I, I, um, I really didn't fit in. I mean, if you meet anybody who knows me, they'll tell you that I didn't fit in. Um, not that I didn't have a good time. I had a, I had a really nice time then. I met amazing young people like me. Um, so I knew that it was only a matter of time I was going to have to leave. Um, so I, I mean, I remembered everything about England. Uh, so yeah, no, there was no. When I came back, actually, they had the system where you know, when you come from another country, they put you in a centre to see if you can speak English properly and all that. They used to do that, 
back then. I don't know if they do now. I don't think they do. Oh. Yeah, they put so they put me <laughs> they put me in a centre, and then the, and then I had to go to these classes. You know, how do you do? And so one that when they one when they actually bothered to ask me a question or when I put my hand up and they see that my English was fine, they were just like, okay, yeah, don't come back here tomorrow. <laughs> and so okay. I went to went to school system. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I didn't know any. I didn't know about that at all. Nigel, did you know about that? No, no, I didn't know. Didn't know about that at all. It's kind of interesting. Obviously, they must have found it quite interesting when you spoke with a pure Camden London accent with your having <laughs> to respond to different questions. Uh, yeah, I, I kept my accent. I changed my accent when I was in Sierra Leone. I spoke with a Sierra Leonean accent. I spoke English with a Sierra Leonean accent so that people wouldn't single me out because mm. you didn't know how people were going to react. This, the teachers, sometimes the teachers start thinking that you think you're better than them or something. I don't know. People got issues. So I spoke with a Sierra Leonean accent, but I would always keep my, my when I was at home, when I spoke to my mum, my mum said to me, just speak to me in English. I speak to everybody else in Creole, but to her, I had to speak English, you know? Were there any adjustments with the food or was the food you're eating in London the same as when you came to Freetown or were, were there any differences? Yeah. yeah. I was brought up on Syrian food. Uh, like, uh, in London, we I, I ate, you know, English food and all that food. And then, you know, I was, they would cook in our house. We had cassava leaf and all of this as well. You know, palm oil stew, you know, replacing spinach. If you can't, I don't have crane crane and all that. You just use spinach. So it was not. And then uh, I have to say that I did go on holiday to Syria quite a few times. Although when you go on holiday, you live there, two different things. So the food, there was no uh, issues at all with the food. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's very interesting to hear that because I think uh, typically that's one of the things that probably people adjust to when they come over here is obviously trying to balance the English food with food from back home. So it's kind of interesting to hear you kind of had were used to that when you got back to Sierra Leone. Yeah, 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 I was I was fine. Totally fine with both. Okay. Yeah, OK, so you mentioned the language. What about the clothes? Um, clothes, I mean, clothes out there, you know, you. I think the, the difference was is that you have house clothes. So you always have to change into your house clothes. You know, in England, you didn't really have house clothes. It was like if you were, uh, there was an emphasis on this house clothes business. As soon as you come outside, you change your clothes. You know, um, whereas in England, you don't have to change your clothes. As as you, you change your school uniform. But other than that, you're not changing your clothes every five minutes. In Sweden, you change your clothes. You have your house clothes and you have your clothes you wear to go out. So that was a, a thing. Um, Clothes as in, you know, wearing, I mean, we just wore everything that people in England and America wore. And then obviously we had, you know, our African clothes too. With kids, you know, we're not walking around a lot with African clothes. Uh, you might have a wrapper, but that not really. So since the adults really would wear African clothes, you would, might wear African clothes to church or if you're going out to a function. Um, but with kids, it was just normal, just everyday stuff, you know? I mean, it was still heavily influenced by the um, the British, um, the British, wasn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was all, you know, it was Madonna, you're wearing a fishnet, um, uh, you know, hand gloves, Michael Jackson, all of that was there. So, you know, Shalimar, all of that, all of that was there. So, and then you just, wore, you just, you dress like them, really, you know? Uh -huh. And what about the music? Yeah, music, music is the same. At that time when I was there, it was like Cool in the Gang, Shalimar, um, you know, uh, 
just all the music, all the music was, mm. was the same thing. Um, schools had dances and we schools would arrange to have um, like shows. So you'd go on the show on Saturday and that was them. They would play all the latest music and then they'd have miming, you know, like somebody might come in, Shaka Khan, you know, you come and you mime Shaka Khan um, or you'd mime Michael Jackson, mm. do the moves. So, so all of that was, it was the same, everything was the same, you know, it was all the same. I, we sat, I, I was in Sierra Leone when uh, Lady Diana got married, you know, everybody was in the house mm. watching. So it was all the same thing, really. And, and when it came to African music, that was all in there too. So there was no difference. And with African music, what I will say growing up on African music is, is that when I've noticed this now and what we had growing up then is what the rest of the world is experiencing now. Because with African music, whether it comes from Mali or Senegal or Gambia, they're singing in their own language. And as Africans, you get up and you, you dance to that music. You don't have to understand everything they're saying because the tone of their voice and the way that they're singing it denotes whether it's a sad song or a happy song or whatever it is and, and and you don't question there's nothing to start reanalyzing you just get up and dance to it and you know it and even if you don't understand what they're saying you 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 kind of mimic the words you know mm. and that was just something that I took for granted all my life until one day I remember playing uh, some African song for somebody like oh, oh what they're saying I'm like well I don't know and they're thinking and they're looking at me like what <laughs> why do I need to know okay I need to know clearly this person's completely baffled but now we have everybody dancing to Burner Boy who's mm. singing Yoruba and mm. and then people are, and then they're not quite you know some people might say on it oh what's he saying but it's out of an interest it's not what's he saying because I can't appreciate it unless I know what he says it's what he's saying because I really want to know because it's an amazing song and so, but before when I was growing up, people didn't, uh, the only thing that people would listen to, there would be French, the French music. Mm -hmm. And they would do that because if you listen to French music or film, it, you were considered, you know, really intellectual and superior and all this kind of thing. You, you were extremely cultured. But with Africans, you listen to everything that's African. And you don't understand anything. No one cares. It's about the music. So yeah, I would say that was a, a difference then. Yeah. Were there any I mean, local musicians that you kind of had, that you kind of listened to or into their performances? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. The guy, Calendar, and there was another one. There's two of them, the guys that they call for the weddings. And I remember one was called Calendar and one there was another guy uh, who's, unfortunately, I can't remember his name now. And they would come in with their actual instruments and play, you know, and they were really famous and everybody loved them. And, I, I you know, uh, um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so the um, I, I remember for me the only time I really used to listen to Sierra Leone music was when we used to go to um, parties, birthday parties, weddings, and yeah. um, other gatherings. Yeah. Uh, that was probably obviously for me that was more in the UK. Was that the same for you, or did you you know was it played around the house when you were younger in Sierra Leone? Um, no, it was the same. I mean, I was, we were doing that before we went, you know, all the parties and stuff like that, all the Syrian parties, weddings, funerals, christenings, where they're playing all this music. It was the same. Okay. Was, they had all of that. And then I went to Sierra Leone and then the, all the music was there. Uh, but now there's more of it. And there's more African music too. And then you had all the Shalomar and all of that. So it was just, mm -hmm. it was just 10 times more of what was happening 
here when I went to the music to the, the funerals and the christenings and stuff. It was just okay. you know, yeah, expanded. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was the what was the expectation regard to sort of like education and, and actually being a woman in Sierra Leone and sort of like uh, over here as well? What was that? Was there a level of expectation set upon you? Um, I, no, because I, the kind of family I come from, that everybody is all about being educated. So there was no. Um, that's why sometimes I get a bit surprised now. People are oh, women must be educated. I'm thinking, uh, I don't understand because I grew up in a family where you know everybody went to they went to this college, they went to that university, and then the uncle so and so's wife, sister, cousin went to that university. It was constant. So when people talk, oh, women, I don't know what they're talking about. You know, I'm just like, okay, okay. There were women in, in there were women who were doctors in Syria, and there were women who were lawyers in Syria, there were women who were, you know, architects in Syria, and there were women who were running hotels in Syria. So I never thought a woman, when it came to the career, I never saw any difference. It was when it, the only thing I saw a difference was, was in the dynamics with relationships. But when it came to the career, there was nothing around me to suggest that women, you know, they wouldn't do so because for women, it's all the women who are going to the market and they're making their money. I, I saw women, you know, market women are the ones who, so everything, you know, it was women, you know, a market woman who's selling the mangoes that's selling to you, she's got her money and she's taking out her money. Maybe she's got the kid on her back. She's feeding her child. She's getting her money for her family. She comes out, you know, I just saw them as business women. I saw them handling money. I saw them making demands, negotiating and all of this. I saw them negotiating with my grandparents, right, I'm coming back on Thursday. Hey, you better have this for me. So I never saw women as as disenfranchised. I only saw women disenfranchised when it came to relationships. I didn't see it in the career because every woman that I saw was making money in their own way. Yeah, I guess the question would be, you kind of talked about the relationship angle. I guess the, what I'd like to know is kind of how did you find sort of, I guess, friends and that type of thing as well? Obviously, friends and relationships kind of, what was the difference obviously between being kind of in, in England and obviously what was there and obviously being in Syria and around that kind of stuff as well? Um, Like, just like with friendships, yeah, no, um, same. I think the same types of friendships. There, there wasn't any difference with anything. I think the only difference was is that when you say so and so is my friend, then everybody knows who their parents are, you know. So, so you know, then you you probably get a story that you really don't care about. Oh, the story of this and related to that, and you're just standing there thinking, okay, I just want to go play. I don't really care about all of that, you know, you know. So you'll get though this is related to that, and then this was related to that. And they knew this person. You're like, okay, and what am I supposed to do with that information? I just want to go and play. You know, so, but in England, you, you don't really get that. There's no connection. It's like friends is, you know, that maybe your parents would want to know who their parents are in terms of phoning up to say, okay, your kid's here. There's a disconnect. But with friendships in itself, there were no differences. There were no differences. What about meeting up with friends and sort of seeing friends? Were there any differences around that? Were they more of protective and serially on less um, okay, strict so- in that sense? Yes. So, uh, yes. Uh, social, socially, yes, there was a huge difference in, 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 in girls and boys. Girls know the, 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 the socialising and all of that was completely different. So I, um, for the most part, you, you're not just 
coming home and then going off to your mate's house. It was very structured and very, um, very monitored. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't, there was no free, there was no freedom in that, I would say. Um, I think there's no freedom. Sometimes it depends on where you live. I mean, I just think for, for girls, there was no freedom in their socialization with other girls, even there's no freedom because it was very restricted. So there was restrictions in that sense, because the boys, you know, they could go out anytime and they could meet their friends from anywhere and all that. But with girls, it was never like that. It was, you better make that arrangement and that arrangement will be made in advance. And if you can go, and if you can go, you're going to be there a certain amount of time and then you're going to get picked up or then you have to leave or then they're bringing you home. So it was very much like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. I think, I think in that respect, I think it's something which you find both in diaspora with some families and also back obviously in Syria and even today where some people are quite in that kind of sense. So it's something that seems to be part of that whole Syrian experience. Yeah, definitely for girls. Yeah, yeah. And so that that is just is like okay. So what you're telling me is is that there is a debt, something that's very dangerous out there for me, but I just don't know what it is. Yeah, but with the boys, there is no danger. No, there's no danger for boys. there's no danger for boys. It's it's lovely and safe, and uh, you know. <laughs> I, I think, to be honest, I think that that's across a lot of cultures. You know, I'm yeah. sure about the Indian culture, the Greek culture. I'm sure that's across a lot of cultures where the, the you know the boys tend to have way more freedom than the and the, than the, the girls. girls. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. definitely, definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it, what I, I was. I was very encouraged the way you said that your experience in Sierra Leone where you saw women in the positions of, I don't know, I would say, uh, I would say power. Um, I could use that word. I mean, how different was that in the, you know, when you came back to the UK? Did you see the same sort of thing or not? No, no. I didn't see women in charge of their lives the way they were in Syria. No, they weren't, actually. Um, I saw that um you know obviously you had women who were in careers and they were doing what they were doing um but it seemed the poorer that the women were in England the more they were they they seemed to be very needy in terms of no choices so therefore they need to sign on and they're coping I'm not saying that the women in Sulean were not were coping better but there was no power Uh you know as a child being in Sierra Leone Everywhere I look, there is a woman making her money. Um, and what, as a child, when I go to the market, I'm I'm and I'm negotiating with women. I'm seeing them open up their their handkerchiefs or, or whatever is where they keep their money. They're counting it. They're telling me what I'm going to pay. They're they're doing this. Then they're talking to somebody else and saying, "Go buy some coke for me." Uh, I'm seeing women in the shops, you know, selling. And even if they're assistants to the shop manager you know they're there and you know if I said have you got this and you haven't got it you know they're they're negotiating with the manager at the back they're they're talking to the 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 boys that are working and they say go get this you know I saw women in all of these positions when I was in England I didn't see that I don't go to the news agent and see a bunch of women negotiating and doing this I would see women there were some women who, but it wasn't women it was when I go to the news agent the majority of them were men when I went to the market yeah, majority of men, fishmongers, butchers, they were men, they were not women. Do you know what I mean? 
women yeah. more tended to be sort of like in the background they were somewhere you know if I go to the butchers and I go to the market I'll buy some things and then maybe there'll be one woman selling some stuff uh, but I will see the women in the cafe serving so it was a different dynamic you know uh, I think as a child you know because I, I never looked at when I saw those women in the market, yes, they were poorer, but they were totally in charge of their lives in terms of their money and their kids, feeding their kids. Even when they would have the kids sitting down while they're selling, I was like, the kid was there. And then there was all these other women around them. So everyone's looking after these kids. The kids are all, you know, it was, it was like a semi-freedom thing. But when I, when I, when I come to England, yeah, you know, freedom might be with the teacher in the classroom or the the lawyer. But coming down the ladder, I didn't see freedom. I saw a certain a certain I don't know how to call it. It's just like a I didn't see the same kind of freedom. Mm. Mm. I just didn't see the same kind of freedom on the poverty yeah. level. Got it. I was just thinking, and Nigel, we've spoken about this before as well. Um, obviously, in Freetown, there were—I mean, we're all Creoles, aren't we? So, yeah. would that would that have been different if it was sort of like up country, uh, Nigel, or or even Nadi? Both of you can ask that one. I don't know. Um, I think the women are still, you know, maybe they're, they're still going out on the farm, and they're still. Um, I don't think all the women up country are sitting at home cooking and cleaning I think they're out there making the money as well you know um I don't think it's men going out to the farm coming back I mean yes maybe the woman is not some women may be cooking and cleaning but I, I do think there's a there, there is a point where the woman's going out to the farm I think probably the woman does more because a man will go out to the farm and come home and he's not cooking she's gone out to the farm she'd come back and then she has to cook and the only reason she won't go out onto the farm is because she got cooked for when he comes home, you know? Yeah. Um, possibly there's, but I think if you go to the market, you won't find men there. You're going again, you're going to see women. It was always women and children selling. Yeah. Always women and children selling. Men sell too, but not as much as the women and children, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, it might be different up country, but I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's a balance or there isn't, but I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure anyway. You know, I can't really speak to it, but yeah, I don't think it's yeah. uh, huge. I'm not sure. Yeah, Nigel. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, obviously, I think what like you kind of said, uh, Nadia, I think there's kind of been always that kind of responsibility that African women have had is kind of a different dynamic than what you find in the West in kind of Victorian England or you know, kind of the, some of the kind of social or gender roles that you kind of had. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think when you mentioned about the people you saw who are kind of at hotels or people who are lawyers and doctors. I mean, going back to your experience of, of kind of growing up and being in Freetown, who did they come from a particular type of group? How did you sort of, what were your experiences of that, um, Nadia? How did you kind of find that? In, in, in what way? My experience of being from a particular kind of group, did you say? No, I mean, did you find that the women who sort of were professionals, doctors, lawyers, or mm. were in charge of these hotels, did they, did they come, were they, were they kind of representative of the whole country? Did you find that they came from particular families, particular maybe socioeconomic backgrounds, or what? What, you, what was your? I mean, what was your kind of knowledge or experience of them? Well, I I don't think that there was any. To be when I was growing up, I, I think that um, 
when it comes to the Creole and, and other tribes, I feel like it was pretty even in that respect. Um, and, and when it came to the women, it was pretty even, you know, um, because, you know, the, 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 the professionals, for, me, for, for ones that I knew and who were around me, they were all coming from different, different pockets. But again, traditionally, let's say, for example, um, maybe the families that they came from were quite influential families, whether they were Creole or not. So maybe that's how they will all get it. They will get this position because they all went to Frabe College and they all, or some of them had been abroad and they came from very um, strong families where it was all about their name. So whether they were Creole or they were Mende or Timney, their name was a name that was very strong in terms of the ties that they had with wealth, politics, or just that fa family line of chieftaincy. And they all, you know, it was all very much stamped in. Mm -hmm.